Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the final week of February 2024, and welcome into unanchoredboston.com. As always, we're brought to you by Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course, and by the big wheel himself, George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. All right, back by popular demand is a guy that uh, knows as much about football, boxing, and everything in sports as anybody on the planet, and we're just thrilled to have him back here. The great Ron Borges is here, and Bob LaBelle always handles the official introductions. So, Lobie, take it away, and let's kick this thing off and get it going. Well, Ronnie, you look great, and you look like you lost a lot of weight, but not since the last time. The last we just didn't point out, but you have, haven't you? Yeah, ever since I stopped working, everything was life is much easier. <laughs> no stress. That's what, that's what we found out. Anyway, uh, Ron Borges, as Mike mentioned, a great boxing writer, great football writer, and uh, knows as much about everything that we could possibly uh, bring your way. And, of course, the whole thing, uh, Lynchy and Ronnie, is the dynasty. It is a hot thing going on right now. And the four episodes have come down. Uh, have you seen the whole thing, Ronnie? I've seen the first four. I haven't seen the rest. I have a number of uh, friends who have seen the whole thing, and they Fill me in on this and that, as I'm sure you guys have too. Uh, it's been an uh, interesting journey so far, I would say. <laughs> what do you think? What's been the overall impression? Let's you same thing. Have you seen the whole thing, Mike? Yes, I've seen. No, I've seen four. Four so far. Yeah. So we're all in the same boat on this. But what are the things that each of you guys have heard throughout this whole uh, journey? Because there's six more episodes to go. The only thing I've heard is it gets worse from here. I don't mean in terms of quality. I think the production is fantastic, but that's my opinion. So go ahead, you guys. Uh, well, uh, the production is great. Uh, I guess worse depends on on which victim we're talking about. Or who's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that it didn't really surprise me, but it jumped out pretty quickly was, uh, as with most things, uh, the winners write the story. And in pro sports the owners never lose so we know who's writing the story here and and uh been sort of an interesting mix of uh i had nothing to do with it i had everything to do with it <laughs> depending on what the issue is uh so uh and i hear i have heard uh, going forward that it, it becomes uh tougher and tougher on bill belichick I have heard that myself. So. Which, frankly, you know, may may or may not be fair. Twenty-five years walks by you in the morning and says hello, and you just walk by him like you've never seen him before. <laughs> Probably, eventually, that'll come. Those those chickens come home to roost. What do you think, Mike? Well, I agree with Ron. I mean, I, I, I you know, I had the, the the fortune of doing the Patriots All Access show, so I was in the tunnel, you know, in the weekdays, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings. And I would witness the two of the, the only two people in the bowels of the stadium. Kraft would be walking this way. Belichick would be walking toward him. And Belichick wouldn't even acknowledge, even acknowledge his presence. He walked right by him like he was invisible. And I said, this is not good. But he's winning, and Kraft has to put up with it. And three losing seasons, uh, uh, you know, have, have gone by when, you know, Kraft finally – you know, gets the hammer again uh, when he, he relinquished the hammer for two decades. Anything jump out on you that in the four episodes that you've seen 
that might have been surprising? I mean, I have a, few, a list of surprises, but I want to hear what you guys think. Well, a couple of things jumped out to me. Uh, I'd be lying if I said they surprised me because, it's, as with you two guys, we know all the participants here uh, pretty well. Uh, one of the things I found really uh, bothering, and I do think that overall the production and everything is, is very good. There are some times where it feels to me like there's obvious follow-up questions that don't get asked because they don't want the answer. Uh, <laughs> one was when Pioli talks about uh, Eric Mangini. Uh, you know, first time he sounded like we, you know Don Corleone. You know, right. the, the <laughs> right. name of the family. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Omerta, uh, and and that's okay. But what what struck me was, and there was no follow-up question had i been there i would have said well wait a minute is this like a one-way family like it's okay for you guys to go into his building and cheat and even when he knows it's what you're going to do it and as i am aware and you guys may be too he had warned you asked you not to do it during the week and you did it anyway what about that part of the family is that the screw you part of the family i mean you know what are we talking about here so that one really struck me and uh and there were a couple of Ernie Adams black op <laughs> statements that just I to, the, to the grave, to the grave, right? To yeah. the grave. And there's reasons why he wants to take some things to the grave because he's in the middle of them, frankly. Yeah. Does it sometimes jump out at you that Ernie Adams was the real coach and the other guy <laughs> just stood in front and was the front man? <laughs> well, he certainly made it stand. It sounded like that a couple of times, like, you know, uh, what should I do doing that Super Bowl until he called me? What, like, what should I do, Ernie? What should we do? Right. You know, and my guess is that was more of, uh, uh, you know, Mike knows his dad was a coach for, you know, 100 years. Uh, you know, if, if you two guys are my chief assistants and we're in a big moment, I probably might say, well, what do you guys think? I may or may not actually care what you think, but I you know, at least sort of ask you. So <laughs> he made it sound like, you know, this battling guy was, you know, dissolving on the sidelines and he needed Ernie to. And I thought Ernie did not help him help Belichick at all with that whole uh, I'll take it to the grave approach because uh, it just made it look like I don't care how, what kind of an apologist you are for them. It just looked like unclean hands. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, that was not good. Yeah, I, I agree. Lynch, yeah, he's saying he's saying and, and I know for a fact that uh, everybody, a, a number of teams in the league are doing the exact same thing. And blah, 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 and he kept circling around. And he says, I'm not going to talk about this. You know, I know. But then he does talk about it. <laughs> right. And right. Then he says no. And this is the most I'd, I'd be curious to find out um, um, when the interviews were done with um, with Ernie Adams. Uh, was it done before Belichick was terminated? Um, was it done like in, in the last three or four months? I think it had to be a year ago, Mike. I think yeah. it had to be over a year ago with these guys. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, because why would they cooperate? If, yeah. You know, why would Belichick it? sit down for that? Yeah. yeah. You know, if it hadn't been done a year. Didn't Somebody, you, by the way, should have told Bill to loosen that tie because it looks like his head is going to explode <laughs> up his neck. Like, well, certainly when he cranes his head and, you know. Talk about production value. It reminds me of a high school picture. Remember when everyone tried to look like they had big necks, you know, when the team photo, team photo was taken, everyone was like that. Yeah, it's true. No, that is true. And, and you know, and, and I just think that um, uh, a couple of those sort of things, like I thought uh, 
I thought the production people and you guys, you know, I've forgotten more about production than I'll ever know. But from from my standpoint, bet on it. They did a real good job of of finding lots of you know video that not only we hadn't seen before, but that also allowed them to not have to ask certain questions of certain people because we got it on video. And I thought Armin Katanian uh, when he was grilling Bill. Uh, uh, you know what? I wrote that down. Stunning. Armin Contenio has got guts. I got to say that I, he, I, he was a very sincere, solid broadcaster, but he stuck a step, stuck a, uh, sorry, took a step up after watching this. The way he grilled Belichick, he right. would not let him go. Right, and and not, it also showed you where he's smarter than, <laughs> and and smoother than yours truly, because as I was watching it. This thought came into my. I was watching with my seventy-year-old son, and uh, he said to me, uh, "What would you have asked him, Dad?" I said, "Well, you know, he had him down there pretty good, especially when he read the thing." I said, "Probably after I read read it, and it was so obvious that there was no loopholes, I probably, knowing me, would have said to Bill, did you go to Wesleyan or like some community college in Kansas? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> how could you possibly read that paragraph and conclude anything except?" I mean, and Bill said, plainly up. admitted, well, I made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That was yeah. the final answer. Well, I made a mistake. Right. It's sort of like putting your hands up when there's 55 police officers with drawn weapons around you. Like, oh, okay, you got me. <laughs> I give high marks to Armand Contain for that. Yeah, that was good. Very good. Yeah, he was. Uh, Don't he was... you think that Robin Glazier's walk down the hall with a hammer was a little much? Well, I'm sort of trapped here because I am sworn to secrecy on one thing that goes way back many years, but I did give the person my word at that time. Uh, I know why she was carrying that hammer, and that hammer was used more than once, and I'll leave it at that, which is why Ernie wants to go to his grave with certain information. Well, there now, there's a provocative statement because well, I'll, be spend, I'll be spending all day thinking about the rest of that statement. <laughs> right. Uh, what do you think, Lynchy? What are you going to ask Ron now? Well, now I'm like, so you I, play I, your Armin Katanian, best Armin Katanian. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Roman Glazer destroyed the tapes that were still in the Patriots' possession. Why? I thought they were all in the possession of Roger Goodell. And then there were some others. Yes. And okay. Others, might have, well, it, well, it, it appeared not on the same could day. Be? There could have been Deflategate. It could have been Deflate Gate. That was the only one that hadn't happened yet. That uh, uh, no, should they were they were they were <laughs> they were hammering those tapes, and of course there was no Zoom in those days, and they had a uh, like a conference call, and so the you'd think the NFL could fly a couple guys up, you know, but I guess they, they were you know they're making so little money they couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> so they had they're listening to them pounding with these hammers as they destroying these suddenly revealed tapes that uh, may be part of the reason that some people are going to go to their grave with uh, with certain information. It, it was crazy. I mean, it just showed you, to, in, to, I thought, I mean, I laughed, but it also showed you kind of the paranoid lunacy of the place. You know, it's like, really? What are we doing? You know, you got some lady walking around with a hammer, and <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You got to admit, the staging was a little much, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah but it made me laugh. I said, "Okay, well, yeah." Well, you, there was you, in you, fact a hammer used to destroy some some 
late arriving tapes. <laughs> and she says she's talking about wearing high heels. They show her down on, on her knees with high heels on, uh, you know, you know, picking up pieces of plastic and putting them in a, in a trash, trash barrel. I'm saying, what the hell is going on here? And I can guarantee you, I was around the National Football League for 49 years. And and dozen of the well, I was 10, I guess, was around the Raiders where a lot of things happened. Never was was were people breaking up video with hammers. That has never <laughs> Ernie can say what he wants. That has never happened anywhere except in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Thank God. <laughs> well, I'm glad they learned their lesson. Then, of course, a couple of years ago, they, they go to Cincinnati and right. do the exact same exact same thing. It's yeah. unbelievable. Well, yeah, but that was but that was different, wasn't it? The Cincinnati no. thing. No, it wasn't. They, they were videotaping signals on the sideline from the press box. Right. Um, and Cincinnati at the time was one of the worst teams in the league. And they're saying, why, why are you doing this to Cincinnati? You could beat them blindfolded. Right. Well, my you information think- always was Phil did this in Cleveland, too, and his dad was one of the people breaking down the film. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a recent phenomenon. The, 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 the thing that really struck me, though, like we talked about a minute ago, was that they, after all these years, can look into a camera and say Mangini was disloyal to the family. When they're walking into his stadium (laughs) and trying to cheat when he's told them, please don't do it. I mean, (laughs) what is that? (laughs) You know? Let me ask you about the... um... The detective or the New Jersey oh, State yeah. Trooper uh, who has to be reassigned and right. thought he'd have a nice, nice cupcake. Where did they find this guy? How did they convince him to be part of it? And he was pretty good because he was, you know, one of the, a character we haven't seen before. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously they tracked him down. I mean, I, I did know of his existence. Uh, you know, all these teams have some guy like that, you know, becomes a good sort of semi-retirement gig usually you know you're usually not <laughs> taking guys out of there with with cameras and everything. uh but yeah i mean that was a great get by them that not only that they could find him but they could you know convince them to do it because a lot of guys i'm sure would have said ah, you know, i don't really need that you know it was like the same boston cop in a murder and murder in boston if you saw that charles stewart documentary right yeah. same cop in there right it's like how did he get why did he talk right Right. And, and I suppose, you know, it's probably a combination of things. You know, some guys, uh, look, all three of us made a living this way for uh, how many decades? Most people want to talk about themselves for the most part, you know, and what a great job they did. or did. Uh, if they didn't, you know, we, none of us could feed our families. Uh, and I'm sure that was part of it. Like, yeah, I was the guy who caught him, you know. Do you think uh, the conversation actually took place between Kraft and Belichick when Kraft said, on a scale of one to a hundred, how much does this mean? And, and then he said one, and then he says, you're a schmuck. Do you think that actually? I believe it did. I, I've heard that from for a long time now. And it's been said publicly uh, by Kraft a number of times and never been disputed by uh, uh, the friends of Bill. You, know, you wouldn't expect Bill to say anything, but usually you get a call from one of the friends of Bill saying, that's bullshit. You know, that, that didn't happen. And uh, I've never heard anybody say it didn't happen. And it's not, and to be honest, from my experience, it sounds like crap. You know, he's not as warm as you guys know. He's not as warm and cuddly as he always tries to you know, appear in public. You know, he'll crush your heart. If uh, Didn't you think Jonathan was uh, spent a lot of on-camera time 
in that documentary much more than I would have expected? Uh, can't say that I'm surprised. I didn't, <laughs> can't say that I'm surprised. I didn't. Uh, well, okay. Why? And, and uh, why are you not surprised? That's him. That's him. You know, look what a tough guy I am. I told Pat Purcell, you know, we right. if the Harold. paper was worth anything, I would have bought it. Yeah, which is a lot of baloney. I mean, you know, they they had no real leg to stand on. And quite frankly, they don't want to go into discovery on any lawsuit any more than anybody else did. Because uh, that's when the rubber hits the road, as you guys know. You know, suddenly everybody's being dragged in their deposition hearings and sworn under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And uh, uh, they didn't really want that uh, to happen. But it's it's a great rewrite. Uh, I, I think what was funny about that, you juxtapose that with that that clip a bit earlier of Kraft on the phone with Pat Purcell, the owner of the Herald, like they're great buddies, you know. And and I believe somebody told me this uh, this week and. I didn't verify it, so it might not be accurate, but they thought it was true that the Herald at that time was printing Patriots Weekly, uh, you know, at their printing plant. So, really? uh, yeah, so it wasn't quite as uh, uh, one-sided uh, a conversation as Jonathan wanted to make it sound. So you think Pat caved on that, just caved on it? Yeah, I mean, I just think he, he – uh, I just think he looked at the whole thing. Uh, I wasn't working there at that time, but I think he just looked at the whole thing and said – it's a headache we don't really need. Okay, one of my guys is going to have to take some fire. Uh, but, you know, it will go away. And, and to a degree it did, but not totally. Um, you know, his only other choice was to, you know, to was to really fight the crafts. And they're a litigious group and uh, who wants to spend their time, you know, uh, as I say, subpoenaing people and, and giving deposition hearings on. on uh, I, I personally, I believe they had the story mostly right. And if, if, if it had just been written that Patriot employees stayed there and watched the Rams walk through, which they're not supposed to do, um, they'd have been fine. But when they said there's a video and they didn't, they hadn't actually physically seen the video, which doesn't mean there isn't one. uh, But you know, then, then they, then that's where they kind of opened themselves up. No one could dispute that the that the video guy stayed there and came running back, uh, tattletailing as my little children would say, you know, to the coaches about what they saw, including Marshall Falk returning kick. Uh, so this is this is the first real instance where that hammer could have been used. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could have been used, right? And maybe it was, you know. Yeah, maybe so that was. Was, all of a sudden the pieces like. Fall right. together. Sounded like Kraft wanted to use that hammer on Belichick by the end of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you know you can't really blame him because it. Um, now I happen to think it's more valuable information to possess if you have it. Uh, you know, if you notice, they only showed a, one or two clips. Uh, they knew what they were doing. You know, that you're shooting the down and distance from the scoreboard, and you're shooting the hand signals. You know, if you know anything about football, you know. Mike could go in there and watch it, watch the, the tape later, match it up. And the next time we play them, every time we're in these situations, boom, there's the hand signal. Well, that means this, that means that, that, you know, to think that that's no edge. Uh, well, it's more than one in a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than one in a hundred. <laughs> and there were four, there were four different defensive coaches given signals Right. And, you know, you can look at the linebacker. The, the, the coordinator was Bob Sutton, I think, the old Army coach, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's right. so, so he's the guy you want to really look at. Um, right. The other guys right. are linebacker coaches. You know, there's a there's a coach for every position on, on, on the team anyway. But uh, but Sutton was the guy that we're really, really looking at, right? Right. And my understanding of it was Ernie who would then yeah. break all that stuff down and keep voluminous. I mean, they not only had the uh, the video, then they had voluminous notebooks. Well, if it's only worth one percent, why do you have uh, you know Jad Hoover spending all his time you know <laughs> looking at these videos and, and keeping these voluminous notebooks if it's meaningless? You know, Ernie has always been uh, um, the man behind the curtain that right. that nobody has seen. And there, as you know, there were players there who never knew what he looked like and what he did for a real job. Right. But um, I was surprised how, you know, here's Ernie leaving his house in the morning, driving in his car on his way to Foxborough and on camera. And this this is a guy that was never on camera. Right. Why is Why is he so, why is he everywhere now? Well, I think in this case, I'm just guessing. I haven't talked to him or asked him. Not that he would talk to me anyway. But uh, I, I think that he understands, as probably many of the participants do, you know, whether it's accurate or not, this is going to become the official history of uh, of these dynastic years. And I want to be part of it, and I want you to know how important I I was. You know, uh, you know, I. I told Belichick to go for it. You know, you know, Bledsoe told the Brady to uh, to sling it, which I I thought some people who were critical critical of Bledsoe uh, really overstated what Bledsoe was saying. You know, it was typical Bledsoe. You know, if you got all that, just throw the thing. You know, um, he wasn't taking credit for anything. But I think there's a lot of taking credit for things uh, and and making sure that what's amazing is that certain guys seemed to be deeply involved with everything that worked and not involved at all with anything that didn't work. You know, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> what a strange phenomenon. It is quite odd. <laughs> the uh, Speaking of Bledsoe, I thought he came off pretty well in this whole thing. I yeah. I mean, in a lot of the whole uh, wildebeest scene where they pointed out that he was stuck in his shoes when the rush was coming that he really didn't have that mobility. And it was, I'll give you an idea. The example of the production, there was a sound of a wildebeest in the background. If you listen to that, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive actually. For, it, and the piece touches. of video they picked out where he looked like, you know, a giraffe <laughs> being assaulted by all the, that right, you, see right. all the you know, G national geographic channel. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that, uh, I did think he came across pretty well. I thought Brewski's final statements about him were were really uh, significant. Where he said the Patriot way started with the way Drew yeah. handled that situation because he could have. You guys all know how popular he was. Sure. He could have split that locker room in half if he wanted to. Absolutely, easily. absolutely. And he he didn't. Uh, uh, now you know I was pretty close with him, as everybody seems to know and still speak with them, you know, from time to time. Uh, and I used to uh, sort of half kidding, but half grumbling because there was a lot of stuff he said to me off the record that I, that I could use, you know, that I would say to him, you know, so now I got to, I got to watch you on television, you know, saying these things. And then I got to be, you know, listening to you grumbling about how you really feel here for 20 minutes. You know, it's just kind of, <laughs> 
but look, I, you know, I get it. It was a really hard, difficult situation for everybody involved. Uh, thought he handled it about as well as you could. Uh, the one thing I, uh, maybe they just didn't have it on video. Maybe didn't think of it. Uh, one thing I always found really interesting about that time period was he throws the touchdown pass in the AFC championship game. And if you remember the sideline explodes and all these guys are running out there and they're, you know, patting him on the back and everything. And as he was coming back toward the sidelines, Belichick turned his back and walked away from him. You know, I just no right. handshake, no nothing. Uh, and now, hey, maybe he was deeply engrossed in what Ernie Adams was telling him in his earphone. I, I don't know, you know what it was, but I, I, I've never forgotten that. I always thought that was kind of. Uh, uh, I know this is a family show, but I think I can say that I always thought that was pretty chicken shit. You know, look, the other guy was better, as it turned out. No question. Uh, you know, Drew Blitzel would be the first one to tell you that. The other guy proved to be uh, arguably the greatest quarterback of his time. Yeah. And Drew wasn't. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't congratulate a guy who hasn't played for however many weeks it was, several months, and he goes in and makes a throw like that. Uh, you should be happy for sure. him, it would say. Yeah. And, and I don't think he was. But, but but we we didn't know then, but what we know now. So it, it could have been Bledsoe that was starting in the in the Super Bowl, um, you know, because we didn't know when this was this this run was going to end. We didn't know it was going to run for twenty years. Oh sure, it could have been just a nine game phenomenon, you know, or eight right. game phenomenon, and they, and and Bledsoe could have could have, you know, I I have told this story a, a few times, and I won't, I won't prolong it, but my room at the Patriots Hotel. Right next to Belichick's, um, the room he used for for his office, not where he slept. Yeah. So I came back from um, something, and Brady is sitting on a chair, which right next to my room. And I said, "What are you doing here?" And it was Wednesday of Super Bowl week. He said, "Well, he says um, Drew's inside, and Bill's telling one of us that we're going to be starting." I said, "Really." So I, I pretended I couldn't find my key, you know. I'm like just in the hallway for like 20 minutes. Oh, I dropped it, you know, waiting, you know. And all of a sudden, uh, now if you walk out of, out of Belichick's room um, and take a left to the elevator, uh, Brady was sitting right there to the right, and he never even even looked at Brady. He just opened the door, and he was you could tell he was just pissed. And Brady stands up, looks at me, and just shrugs his shoulders. Now I'm inside my room, you know, trying to put a glass up the wall, everything. <laughs> and um, um, and when he came out, you know, I just I went, psst, Brady went like this, and that's how it how it came down, just like right. that. That that simple. And yeah. um, Well, I you know I had written a column. Everybody forgot. All the haters have forgotten this, but I had written a column uh, before the before that decision was made. That at this point they have to stick with Tom Brady. Now, I had no, I still was of the opinion that that Blesso was in the long term going to be the superior quarterback, and obviously I was wrong about that. Uh, but I did feel, and Drew was not happy about that. <laughs> and I said, "Look, the guys, they won eleven games with this guy. You know, they, they yep. won 
two playoff games with him, whatever it was. Uh, you, know, you don't just you know, push horses now. Now, when the when the spring comes and the fall and the, and the summer comes, then it should be an open competition, which of course uh, uh, it wasn't. But uh, the other thing I found interesting on in this subject was they kept talking several times, making it sound like this courageous decision that that Belichick made. You know. Well, initially it wasn't a courageous decision. The other guy was dying in Osville and at Mass General, so I mean, he was not going to play quarterback for you. So you're going to put in your second string quarterback, I would think. Uh, well, that part was pretty easy to me. The only difficult choices uh, were when he first came back, and, uh, and Brady did not, in the opinion of most people perform well in that first Rams game. And he concluded that, at least as I understand it, Belichick concluded that I just got to pull the, I got to pull the trigger. Otherwise I'm going to have one guy who hasn't played in two months and then another guy who's not sure if he should be in or not. So, uh, so that did take some uh, courage in a way, but you're sort of playing with house money. You know, I mean, did any of us think at that point after the Rams game that they were going to the Super Bowl? No. So, okay, you play it out and see see what happens. But, you know, even though Drew had some good moments, he also had a couple of shaky moments which, uh, uh, in that Pittsburgh championship game, uh, even though he, you know, certainly helped him get there. Uh, you know, how do you not go if he's healthy with with Brady at that point in time? I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about it? Well, I, 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 I think it was a coin toss, but uh... – I think you have to go with the guy that, that's on a roll. The guy who's won eight games in a row um, it was a tough call because we didn't have the two weeks. We had the one week uh, between games. And um, I was just glad I had the room next to, next to Belichick. <laughs> right. Lucky you. Well, you know, it, it's funny because everything has happened before, as you guys know, even yeah. though you got to be old enough to remember. There was no real difference between this and when Earl Morrow was the Colts quarterback. Yeah. In uh, uh, Super Bowl three, and United have been out most of the season with that bad shoulder, uh, elbow, and shoulder, and they got uh, to the Super Bowl, and who was gonna, uh, you know, who was gonna be the starter? And Upton Bell, my pal, was you know working, running the personnel department in those days, and Shula made the decision, you know, we're going with Earl Morrill. Uh, well, you know, he did. For a while, <laughs> then in, in the second half, uh, as I understand it, he had told Unitas that Unitas was going to start the second half, uh, but then he decided to wait one more drive. And as it turned out, that third period was a long stretch of time there uh, before he finally got uh, Unitas in the game. And Unitas took him right down the field, and they, uh, but then the next time, you know, he threw a pick because his arm was dead. Um, so, but it was very similar. So, I mean, obviously, you're talking, in my mind, Johnny United is the greatest quarterback who ever lived. So, it's a little bit different. Um, but still, you had the other guy, Earl Moore, was MVP of the league that, that yeah. season. You know, um, so you, you have to make that choice. I thought the big gamble wasn't so much that season because it didn't matter. Even if they lost the suit, you know, it was house money at that point. They'd, it was way above everybody's expectation. I thought his big gamble was then moving Bledsoe out of here. Uh, and, you know, that that took courage because you get, you know, you're wrong about that one, you get fired. Uh, 
And for a while there, if you remember that next season, it looked like uh, they were wrong. Bledsoe was lightening up the uh, the league the first half of the season. Buffalo was six and two, I think, and they had killed the Patriots in that opening game. Uh, and then everything reversed itself. That was the lawyer Malloy game. Yeah. Exactly. Was there a connection to the lawyer Malloy activities at the end of that season, and the fact that he was traded to Buffalo before the start of the next? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was all a contract thing. You know, he wouldn't take a cut. Uh, and uh, he wasn't the only guy uh, who was asked or forced to take a cut. Ted Johnson had to take a cut. Don't ask me why. And you're talking about this guy who started in the Super Bowl, now they got to take pay cuts. And Malloy wouldn't do it. And so he did. Uh, he waited till the absolute bitter end. You know, there were four or five days left before the start of the season when he released Malloy. Uh, it was on the Friday. Uh, and I'm sure the supposition was that and you guys know how it is at the end of the end of training camp. Everybody's jettisoning them players. You know, they're max, most teams are maxed out on their money. So I, I'm sure he thought, well, he's either going to get small money or no money. Well, as it turns out, Ralph Wilson had some some extra cash, <laughs> extra cash in the petty cash draw uh, or the not so petty cash draw, and, and lawyer made out. I mean, he made more money than uh, than he would have made, uh, you know, if he had stayed in New England. Let me let me. Uh, uh, why did Drew agree to uh, agree to be interviewed for this? Was it, what what was the upside for him? But I don't know. Him? That's interesting. I don't know. I haven't really talked to him because it's not like it's not usually something he wants to talk a lot about. Yeah. Uh, he has remained uh, friendly with Kraft over the years, and my guess is Kraft asked him, and he agreed to do it. Uh, I was surprised his wife, uh, Mara. She, she was a star. She's great. She was the star. Mora was a star in that show. And she's smart as a whip. And, uh, uh, you know, and she spoke the way I would hope, although I'm not 100% sure, the way I hope my wife would have spoken if it was me. You know, she might have said, eh, eh. But, yeah. uh, you know, you never know for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think that's probably why he did it. Uh, and and I and I thought he comes across, at least in my mind, unless there is just a Drew backer. Um you can see it still bothers him. You know, you can see that. But at the same token, you can also see that, you know, he recognizes, you know, what it is and, and, and what and what happened, you know. Uh, he, uh, uh, but I thought Bruschi at the end of that thing, you know, he, he really hit, hit the nail yeah. on the head there. A $100 million quarterback, and, and he could have ripped it apart. Sure, sure. I Picture. mean, I, I know there were coaches, uh, and they sort of hinted at this uh, in one of the episodes. Um, uh, I know there were coaches when they heard that Bledsoe was out indefinitely. At least one I know for sure who called his wife and said, "Get the house ready for sale because we're not." So the the any mythology that they knew that Drew uh, that uh, Brady was going to become what he became is nonsensical. Uh, which which reminds me of one other thing. I don't, I don't know what you guys thought about it. Uh, this was also involved Pioli. When Pioli uh, at one point is talking about that they're in the draft room and Pioli said, and we kept looking at, you know, Tom's name up there at the top of our, that is BS. Tom's it is, name was, it is. It, name it, wasn't, it was like underneath on the backside of the chalkboard. You know, you have to turn the board around to find his name, with the exception of Dick Rabine, who kept... Dick Rabine was the guy. Right. And if there's no Rabine, there's no Brady. Uh, and, and again, that's one of those follow-up questions that 
and, and I, you guys know me well enough. I'm, I was shocked that Ray Bynes' name wasn't even mentioned in that. Never mentioned. And and one of the things were I asking the questions, I would have said to Pioli, well, if that's the case, why did you draft a tight end from Montana three slots ahead of when you took Brady? What are you talking about? His name is jumping off the board, but let's take the guy from Montana. I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, it's nonsense. Uh, All right, Ronnie, I got to do a commercial here because I know you're asking. I get it. I, it we'll be trying to. We're just you know trying to scratch out a living as best we can. And as Lynchy asked your question last time, it'll be a different question this time, right, Mike? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it will be a little, a little different. Yeah. All right, good, good. That's a boy, Mike. Get a boy. Step. <laughs> Just stay with the program. Campers, get ready for the 2024 season with a new RV. We're here in this year, and we're ready to roll. Cold Springs RV is the latest in pop-ups and travel trailers and fifth wheelers and motorhomes, and we need RV or service. Get to Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire just west of Goffstown, north of Dracut. Go out on the all-new Winnebago. Check them out. Winnebago Access Travel Trailer. You could be in one now, heading south. By the way, Mike, I'm leaving tomorrow for uh, Southern, uh, for Hilton Head. Oh, good for you. But I'm just driving. I'm just... Are you going to take one of those RVs? I was going to jump into Winnebago and give it a shot. Okay. There you go. Yeah. There yeah. you go. That's yours. Okay. down there. Just down yeah. there, beautiful Hilton. <laughs> it's not bad, right? Pretty good. Okay. Anyway, fifth wheelers, motorhomes, Winnebago access travel trailers. Don't forget to tell them Loby and Mike Lynch sent you. Learn more at ColdSpringsRV.com. Uh, you know where to find them, and we know where to find you. Mike, the question for Ron Borges today. All right, Ron. We all know that John Madden had the uh, Madden Cruiser, and Cold Springs RV is still in the developmental stages of the Loby Lynchy Cruiser. But uh, I like it. Since we don't pay anybody, we're going to let you use the Loby Lynchy Cruiser for a week when uh, when it finally is, is made. So last time I asked you, you could take anybody you want to ride shotgun with you. This week, you have to pick one of the principals that was interviewed in Dynasty. Now we've all seen the, the trailer where all the the, the talking heads right. come up really fast. So all the people that are have been or will be interviewed. Uh, you get to ride cross country and just have a conversation with them. Who would you pick? Oh, Ty Law, Party Hardy. I mean, Ty's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Ty tell you everything, and he'll do it with enthusiasm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's been tremendous on this thing. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. That that. Uh, That's a good one. Yeah. Bingo. We've got bingo. One of the great <laughs> celebration lines of all time. <laughs> he would tell you things, even if he didn't ask him, he'd tell you stuff. You know. <laughs> He was spectacular. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, all these guys had so much energy. Uh, oh, the one guy who popped up out of nowhere, and honest to God, I, I, I thought I was watching like... Um, well, tell me Randy Moss. No, well, Moss was great. He was spectacular. Moss was Bill, great. Bill Parcells. Yeah. What was he doing in there? Who the oh, hell my God, there's another story? story we haven't even talked to. You know, what was he doing the there? Kraft Parcells. Wait a minute. Wait, Mike, you're right. What was he doing there? But what was, why were they like Robert saying that Bill Parcells was more about Bill Parcells than he was about the team? That's not the guy I knew. Right. But I, I don't get that to me was stunning. Well, I think that, and I agree with you, you know, I had a lot of respect for Parcells. I mean, it really, everyone seems to have forgotten now, but it was really Parcells 
the first rash of season ticket sales was Bill Parcells, who was not signed by Kraft. You know, he, Orthwine brought him in. Remember that day after they signed him, that rush down, they sold over 9,000 season tickets, yeah. doubled their season ticket sales in, in one day because of his appearance. Um, I was a little surprised by that for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it was a way to show that although the Kraft Productions uh, has a lot of control over this, they didn't have total control because because Parcells was off the rails right off the bat, you know, that whole thing. And uh, uh, and, I, and I thought it, it when you saw the two guys speak, even in, you know, they're now both in their 80s, uh, you, you can see why they just couldn't get along. You know, they, it, it couldn't work because uh, Kraft was young and uh, as an owner and and Parcells is right, inexperienced. Mm -hmm. He didn't know really what we're talking about. And Bill, on the other hand, thinks he's, you know, he invented football. And <laughs> he knows all the mysteries and nobody else knows anything. Uh, and so, you know, when he was with the Giants, he didn't pick the players. Tom Boyster picked the players. And George Young, who was a general manager, sort of refereed between the two warring parties there. Uh, but he didn't have final say on the roster. Uh, he, he thought he had it. Or he did sort of have it when Orthwine was here. And then a new owner comes in, and we all know we've all worked to get for new owners. Suddenly everything that you thought you had written down, it was in invisible ink, you know. And, and so you could see where that was kind of going. And, and and Parcells, if you look at his history, and I love Parcells. I think he's one of the great coaches ever. But Parcells always struck me as a uh, you know, better-mannered Billy Martin. I mean, you got a bad situation. He comes in, he takes it from bad to good, and it doesn't take him that long to do it. And then as the owner of the Detroit Tigers said to me one time after firing Martin, I said, how can you find fire Billy Martin? You know, you never won anything until Billy Martin got it. He said, I know. But finally it gets to the point that it, winning's just not worth it. <laughs> so, you know, boom. Uh, but, yeah, I was really taken aback by, A, his presence, uh, and, B, what he said and well, not so much what he said but that it stayed in the film That's yeah pretty yeah fantastic. i mean they, they could they could just hit the delete button and that that thing was out of there oh but sure even, even, even Kraft, like, if, if Kraft had come in there and told those guys i don't want yeah. that in there yeah i think it comes out i mean even the way he came in the, the, the video went from the side and it was almost like vincent price for, I, I couldn't i couldn't even tell who it was at the beginning and right. i said oh my god that's parcells right and, and there he was just sitting there staring into the camera and i'm saying Something profound is going to come out of those lips, and right. he does. He did. He he usually doesn't disappoint. No, oh no, and and you know the idea that look on a, on the one hand, you know, Bill's history and after four or five years is looking to get out. So if if Kraft meant it that sort of way, that you know, uh, I'm I'm thinking about twenty five years owning the team and this guy's you know looking to get out of here and he was uh for the last couple of years i know that bill did you know basically sort of say well we'll see at the end of the season where i'm at and i'm sure that uh can grind on uh an owner you know but the flip side is that's what the owner's doing you know i don't care how long your contract is you know as billichek just found out uh, it, it's often not as long as you think it is uh, so you know that's a two-way street uh, but it was an interesting juxtaposition and tension. You really could see the 
why it all came down the way it did. Now, I will say this. Anybody who thinks for one minute that Bill Parcells was distracted from trying to win that Super Bowl is a moron. <laughs> because that was just not the case. You know, they didn't win that Super Bowl. I've always felt because uh, partially, you know, because Troy Brown got that hamstring injury and he would have made that tackle uh, more than likely on that kickoff because that was his spot where he went through. But he couldn't play. So, yes. you know, history gets written by somebody else. Uh, and it also would have helped. <laughs> I love to tell this story because it says so much about coaching. Uh, that week, Ray Perkins, if you remember, was the offensive coordinator. And they're in meetings. And, you know, you guys know Perkins. He wasn't exactly the most exciting guy to be around. Yeah. And uh, and he's telling the offense that Max Lane's going to block Reggie White one-on-one because he knows something about Reggie White. And he commences, according to what I was told, to launch into uh, White doesn't like to play on turf, so he doesn't you know, put his full effort, full effort out there on turf, and blah, blah, blah. And Bledsoe said to him in the meeting, are you really telling me that Reggie White's not going to give full effort in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I know some things about Reggie White. Well, if you remember, when the critical moment of the game came, Reggie White ragdolled Max Lane on three different plays and killed Bledsoe. Bledsoe came to the sidelines <laughs> after one of those sacks and hollered to Perkins. He looks pretty good on turf today. <laughs> but they left Max one-on-one, you know, which is who, who, who blocked. You know, the only guy I know of who was ever active, asked to block Reggie White one-on-one. Now, there may have been others, you know, anti Moody. The only one I know for sure was Mark Bavaro, who Parcells used to say. Uh, and, and Mark has told me many times, I didn't really block him. I just got in the way. <laughs> you just beat me up instead of beating up Sims, you know. <laughs> great stuff. You know, it was a Bledsoe did have a great line about Parcells. So in that right after Parcells, he said, you know, he said in that game, he was focused. Uh, he, he's sort of contradicting you here a little bit more, but that, that, that Parcells was distracted and focused on the Jets that right. week. That, that's what Drew said in that interview. Yeah, well, I, he did, and I and I can see why players. So, you know, might feel that way. Uh, I just know the guy too well to know if that wasn't the case. They were fully prepared for the game. They just weren't as good as the fact. You know, if they had won the game, was he going to get extra credit for just this unfocused coach who led him to the, you know, I mean, uh, you know, who wants to win more than uh, Bill Parcells? You know, I don't know too many guys who, who do. Um, and, you know, they didn't say that. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, nobody said Charlie Weiss wasn't focused for the uh, their third Super Bowl win when he was, you know, lining up his staff for Notre Dame during that week. Right. He wasn't, you know. So if you win, it's like I said earlier, you know, the winners write the history. If you, you know, if you win, you know, it was not a problem. If you lose, you know, that's why you lost. Now these are the four episodes we've seen. What about the other six we haven't? As we've heard, it gets worse. For right. Belichick. Well, I've been told that the Hernandez one is really good. I That's know. what I've heard too. That yeah. Hernandez one is really, which would be hard to do because we've seen so many, you know, Hernandez documentaries and books and so forth. I, I don't know what more they can come up with, but I do. I was surprised by one thing that 
and I think this is this is no secret anymore. But uh, and I didn't know this at the time. Apparently, Dion Branch was a guy who was you know, befriended him and really tried to, which you couldn't be two more top uh, opposite personalities than Dion, where the sun is always shining, you know. Uh, and and Hernandez, who was you know, you know, gangster wannabe. So that that I'll be interesting to see what what Branch has to say about you know that relationship and and how the thing all sort of broke down. But yeah, I've heard that one's good. And 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 look, we're all going to be waiting for the last couple because you know that's going to be a you know, will <laughs> be quite an assassination, I think, at that, <laughs> at that point. Yeah. What well, question? was raised well a good friend of mine called the sports porn watching this dynasty is like sports porn and, and in a way he's right you don't want to miss an episode right but the next the the question he had is why did Kraft want this done was it to get it his theory is simply to get into the hall of fame that for some that this was his theory not mine I'm just offering out there that the the bottom reason that this was all done and financed by the craft corporation industries, paper hangers, whatever, whatever they are. <laughs> I know I, I was a simple cardboard boxes. I was simple paid paid businessman running a paper business. Right. Yeah. That what was did I, know, yeah. What did I know about football. I was right. Okay. Your, your reaction to, to that um i don't know if that's the case i mean i don't think it was, it's going to help them uh one way or the other you know i mean uh i i think uh you know, i've been on that committee now for nearly 25 years uh but i'm not on the subcommittee that that picks the contributor slash coach that that they bring out for the whole group to vote on um i know he had a lot more wind under his sails uh, three or four years ago than he has now. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, Belichick is suffering from a little bit of that too. When, when everything so clearly changes for your side, when one guy leaves and nothing changes for the guy who left, it's hard not to say, well, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> who was really the guy, <laughs> you know, the owner, I, I'm not a big advocate of owners in the Hall of Fame, other than the guys who, who you know, the original guys who created the league, and you know, when it was worth nothing, yeah. and, uh, you know, those yeah. guys, they were builders, you know. But the Jerry Joneses and the Eddie DeBartolos and, and uh, Pat Bolins, and uh, how much does any owner? No disrespect to owners, because they do sign the checks, but how much do they really have to do with the day-to-day -day operation of the team? Zero, right? You know, it's like. Well, some owners feel they've contributed more than you're giving them credit for. Well, and in f financially, certainly they have, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, when DeBarlo was up, one of the his supporters was saying, you know, you know he, he, he discovered Bill Walsh. You know, Paul Brown wouldn't hire Bill Walsh to, to coach the Bengals. And he did. I said, yeah, well, he discovered three other coaches who were terrible before he discovered Bill Walsh. So did he discover him or did he trip over him? You know, stacking around in the dark. You know, it's it's. Uh, I just think that they don't have as much to do with, unless you just want to say, well, they, you know, that they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money. That's, you know, true. But as we've seen in the case of the Patriots here, which I've been saying for how many decades that I say they weren't spending, 
and nobody wanted to believe it. Well, now it's all out there that they, you know, because they don't. There was you know, a cash, uh, cash spending and moving numbers around two different things. There was a so survey. I think it, maybe it's an effort on his. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think that's why he did? I think it was more of I want to make sure the history is written the way I see it. I see it. Right. You can't blame him for that. The way I want to be remembered. Right. Uh, and he's got control he, he, over this whole uh, this whole episode. And right. uh, executive producer over Jeff Benedict. Um, and I, I agree. He's got control and he wants to be remembered the way. He, he's, he's like Willie. I uh, said this to Bob Ryan uh, uh, last time he was on. He's like uh, Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman. He doesn't want to be liked. He wants to be well liked. Right. And that that's important to him. It's 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 so important to him. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and look, somebody's going to do a Belichick one at some point, you know, whether it's next year or five years from now. And I'm sure he's he that will be a, a whole different tale than the one we're hearing now would be my uh, my guess, you know. And so uh, he was smart probably to say, oh, I'm going to beat the dealer here. And uh and it, uh, you know, the, 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 the model there, the Jordan uh, uh, documentary model, you know, Jordan had control over that, you know, in terms of the things he didn't like, they didn't go in there. So that's pretty common if you're going to do one of these things. Um, it's, it, it is interesting to me how many people, like the Parcells agreed to do it. It's still... Like, I'm, I'm I'm still shaking my head. I'm, yeah. I'm still shaking, and especially the way they they just panned from like right to left, and I said, "Who right. is this guy?" You know, they made him look like he was 110 years old. Right. For something right. with the lighting and the makeup or whatever, he did not look good. Right. But, well, the reality was, you had to tell Parcells had to be part of the story. I mean, you. Yeah, but he didn't have to, to he leave him. To, to leave him out, Mike, would have been a gross. Uh, a, Gross way of pointing out this really is uh, my production, and I'm left out everything, including the orchids of Asia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that won't be in there. <laughs> you know, just, just saying, I'm that the Parcells, because <laughs> speaking about Hall of Fame problems, that's a little bit of a problem, you know, a little bit. Anyway, the, there's a survey that just came out, and it just it's online. It's, I haven't seen it in, in print, but it was done at the Combine. All teams ranked overall with about seven different categories. The Patriots ranked 29th. The Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Commanders were only worse than the Patriots. But they were done like treatment of families, food, nutrition, uh, locker room, weight room, strength coach, head coach. It's really fascinating. The Patriots got an F- minus in treatment of families. Wow. I think this, I think they ranked 30th uh, in weight room. They got an F uh, and ranked 32nd in head coach. I'm just saying, this right. is fabulous. It's well, just, you know, did you guys see, and I didn't see it, Some. I mean, I didn't hear it. Somebody told me about this week. Apparently, uh, Pete Carroll did some interview with somebody out in <clears> Seattle uh, recently. Uh, talking about his career and all that. And he talked about when he first got to New England and he went to Kraft about oh. the food, the, the 
players. Yeah, they eat bologna sandwiches, you know. And he said, you know, I knew then we were going to have a problem. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, now I'll tell you honestly, and I'm in the minority on this. I used to tell the players this: if I'm paying you like a seven million dollars, I don't think I have to buy you lunch. I, re I really don't. You know, I really don't feel that I have to do that. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't know about you guys. Nobody paid me a million dollars. And nobody paid for my lunch. But yeah, that that's not a great look when uh, uh, you know they're putting you down at uh, at every turn. Um, and you know the I want to see more of Belichick because uh, I hear there's more of him and and that the visuals are oh you're right the visuals are all like that right <laughs> like he's on the rack you know <laughs> uh, so it it, it doesn't help. I don't think he's helping himself or the, or people like Ernie are helping him, even if they think they are, with some of the things that they're saying or the way he's looking. Like he's, well, some Malcolm Butler thing's got to come up, right? I would think so. I mean, that's the one, you know, one of the great quasi-mysteries of all. I mean, if you want to talk about a guy or a situation, at least in my opinion, you guys may differ, uh, who put something else ahead of winning, it was that day. Because I don't care, you know, what he did. At, at some point in that game, they had two choices. They could put me in or him in, and they'd be better off in either case compared to those slappies that were out there trying to cover the Eagles receivers, you know. I know. I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. It was unbelievable. Uh, and for him to just leave them there, it was like, what are you doing? You know, that, that... Right. Well, it's... Hey, let me ask you guys one question. What did you make of Mike Mars? Oh, uh, you know what? Just what I thought he was. And over, yeah. uh, I'm the best, and you're not even going to touch me, Mike Martz. Whatever right. decision I make is always going to be right. right. I'm never wrong, Mike Martz. <laughs> yeah, who the hell did he think he was? He's, He's throwing 40 yard passes and he was against a defense that was expecting 40 yard passes because right. right. they videotaped him in their walkthrough. <laughs> oh well, Ty Laws reacted to that interception. It's like you roll, really? You're going to throw that ball, really? Uh, yeah. Right. He said the easiest reception he ever got, interception he ever made. Right. I mean, like he said, those are the ones you usually drop because it's so easy that you. Really, oh no. What did you think of Mike Marsh? Same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I thought he was authentic as I know him. That's him, you know. Uh, and he, and he was when he was complaining about the physicality and look, they were very physical on him and they did uh, get away with a lot. Um, but that just shows you, you know, the intelligence of the other coach. Absolutely. They knew. They're going to throw 20 flags. They're not going to throw 20 flags in the Super Bowl. Right. So, okay. They get us a couple times. Uh, and, and, you know, Polian, Bill Polian still talks about the championship game against the Colts when, uh, that's <laughs> my favorite tie law play when he grabbed Marvin Harrison by the jersey and literally threw him into the Gatorade table and sidelines. Gatorade's flying all over the place. He's got it all over his jersey. You know, the table's upside down on top of him. No call. <laughs> like, you know, so it, uh, but, but, you know, but that, that's March. There's no question about it. That, and you can see why uh, Belichick was, you know, clearly smart enough to understand that. This guy's not going to stop throwing. I asked Ted Johnson one time, what would have happened if March had suddenly said to Warner, just give the ball to Falk? He said they would have trampled us. 
So there was nobody there to tackle. Yeah. Because we were beating up the receivers. And, and you know, if they had just run the ball up the middle of the field, we couldn't have stopped them. You know, which may or may not have been the case, but certainly that was the way to attack them. I'm surprised they left it to Bucky Jones play out of that. Uh... Yeah. 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 You're right. A lot of stuff did get – I thought they skipped over the second and third Super Bowls almost like they didn't happen. But maybe you got to do that because there's so much stuff, I guess. But Yeah. Uh, it was like, did uh, I remember watching, thinking, did they win those two games, <laughs> or, or what? You know. And uh, oh, and I'll tell you one other thing. And I and I and I, I can, I do feel I can now say this. Uh, the other thing that bothered me was the discussion about the uh, Super Bowl, the undefeated, almost undefeated season. Uh, as a as an old boxing PR guy, a friend of mine, he used to send out these things that would say, you know. Bible Bell is going to fight the nearly undefeated Mike Hurts. And if if he found any writer who actually wrote it as n- nearly undefeated, then he'd call him up and say, you idiot, you're either undefeated or you're not. You're not nearly undefeated. Uh, but that was the past. Uh, but to talk about that zero blitz call, um, I have on overwhelmingly good authority. You won't have to be any genius to guess who. Uh, that... That call was the only defensive call all season not made by Dean Pease. Dean Pease did not call that zero. Uh, yeah. And to me, because uh, they told that story about Moss, how he was dogging Pease the next season in, uh, in practice, one of the reasons Pease left at the end of that season. And somebody should have, sub- should have stood up and said, I made that call. He didn't make that call. But that person didn't do that. Uh, and next thing you know, Pease was retiring to, to 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 write music, and a year later, he's the Ravens' defensive coordinator for the next oh. decade. You know. <laughs> hey, if you're thinking about a new vehicle, go where Lobby and Lynchy go. Go see our good friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years, and we know that George Gray will treat you, your family, your friends, anybody you bring over there. They will take great, great care of you. They're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray, the big wheel we call him, at George Gray's Lexington Toyota 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. Stop by there. You will not be sorry that you did. Mention that Loby and Lynchy sent you over there. You know, um, who are the other faces that you've seen real fast in that that trailer that haven't been on yet that you're looking forward to hearing from? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, well, as I said, Dion's the one I really want to hear from. Yeah. I, you know, I had no idea that they were. You know, Boy, Amendola hasn't been on yet. Yeah, Amendola hasn't. I, I have seen some of that, and he sounds like he beats up the coach pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. Gronkowski, I'm sure, will beat Gronkowski. Just, yeah. I don't know what he's going to say, but whatever he says, it'll be like, what? Uh, so he'll be he'll be sort of fascinating, I'm sure. Have we done seeing the Gronkowski kick, or is that just going to continue on and on and on? <laughs> yeah, I've seen enough of that, I think. Um, I'll tell you one person I thought was surprising. Uh, not surprised that she was uh, good because she's a bright woman and everything. But uh, Brady's sister talking oh, yeah. about uh, him as a kid. You know, in in, in particular, I found the uh, fact that I made my son sit down and watch it. Who's 17 year old? would-be hockey player uh, talking about working on his speed, but he doesn't want to do the five-dot drill. It makes me go crazy. Uh, but that's the separation. And, and they tell that story about 
him deciding he had to get faster. And the next thing you know, he's painted the five dot drill on the driveway and he's doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But that, so even at that age, as a, whatever he was, 17, 18 years old, that's who he was. And I always thought that was the key to his, not his success, but his long-term success was that unlike nearly every other player I ever met, I always think their mind goes before their, before their body goes in a lot of cases. They're just bored. You know, it's like, okay, I want to play the games, but you know, do I really want to sit in here and watch five hours of the Kansas City Chiefs defense? No, I don't, you know, because I've watched 500 hours, and he would never change. I have one question for both of you, a football question. This would be my the last contribution of the day for me. In the in the the Spygate season, starting off with the Jets, and then trampling everybody else in their wake, <laughs> all the way until the Giants, right? All the way, right to the end, the Spygate thing. It it shows you how much motivation is in football. How how important motivation is. I mean, that team had motivation. They had, they had to overcome what was put in front of them in Spygate. And the way they ripped through the season is an example to me of the driving force in football, and that's the motivation to play. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, yeah. you know, Mike was a uh, player. Mike, Mike knows, you know, that this – it's such a physical game. It's It's – a point comes during the year where you've got to find some external ways to keep going because your body's saying enough already, especially at, at the way they play. And uh, it's hard to maintain that. Uh, I know when you, you know, when you we go to a Super Bowl and you watch the start of the game and, and you know, and I always used to, when I would see one team just leaping around like a crazy person, I always used to think, they're going to die like a, like a dog here in about 15 minutes because you just can't expend that much energy and and they through a whole season just sort of did have that chip on their shoulder that you know led by their coach quite frankly you know who just ran it up on an aged joe gibbs you know it's just uh, uh yeah it wasn't necessarily pretty but it was no. they were motivated for sure yep two two things about that giants game uh one the giants played the same type of defensive game that the Patriots played when they beat the Rams in the, in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, they, they were hitting their receivers, hitting anybody coming out of the backfield. But even before that started, when I saw Belichick wearing a red top, he's never done that before. And here they are looking for the looking to go perfect, 19 and 0. He's either had a navy blue windbreaker on or he's had the sloppy gray hoodie on. And he's got a red thing cut off. And I'm saying, what is he doing that for? Somebody must be paying him to wear it. I don't I don't know. They wanted to be Harvard. <laughs> a different color red. But, uh, yeah, they uh, uh that game was funny because um uh one of the feelings I had before that game was that the one chance the Giants had was if they could get to the quarterback with just their front four. And I reminded people in something I wrote that every one of these guys has been a Pro Bowl player. Every one of their four front line defensive linemen. And if they play like that today, 
this could be a real problem that they can't solve. And to me, they won the game for them. They, I mean, you can talk about Eli all you want. Was there any was, – when you saw that Eli play, yeah. the, the pass to Tyree, it, when, I, when I saw it in the different angles that they had and talk about the production, you even now wonder how the hell they ever got out of that. <laughs> how was it a it was how did the was, whistle not blow that he was in the grass? It was even more remarkable that he got out of that. It wasn't just Richard Seymour, it was four other guys. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, they had all of his jersey in it. it but a, it's, it's it 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 harkened back to the other the, the Patriots first Super Bowl and that the officials are gonna give you as much rope as they can give you, that they're not gonna give you in October. They're gonna, you know, uh and and the catch itself, I mean, I always thought uh, the way Rodney Harrison played the ball there, you know, if he just come up and nailed him in the back, the ball goes probably flying, you know. But instead he was sort of half trying to play the ball while at the same time they're tackle the guy. You think and, Rodney Harrison hasn't thought about that? Oh, I think every, when he goes to sleep, <laughs> he sees it a lot. Every day. And, and, you know, I also thought that Tyree was lucky in that when he came down, Rodney's body was between him and the ground. So it wasn't like, bang, you hit the ground, the ball comes flying out, and they say no catch. You know, it was almost like there was a pillow there between, uh, uh, as one of my old boxing pals used to say when you'd see a bad fight, pillow fight. You know, and it was sort of like that. He just, uh, he kind of lightly hit, came down and, and, and landed. And, you know, it was. Uh, how about the Moss play at the, at the end? I forgot how close Moss came. Well, he said he touched it. He did. He said he actually he touched the ball. At the last play, I mean, amazing. The whole yeah. I mean, to me, the circumstances it just yeah. Just I mean, the defensive guy made a good play on it, and he got his yeah. hand up there just enough. Uh, and 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 now I'm going to sound pretty like hardcore football about it, but to me, uh, that's the difference between Jerry Rice, Don Hudson, and Randy Moss and those guys. They catch that ball, you know. You you. As good as Moss was, you'll never convince me he was better than Rice because I never saw Rice not catch a ball like that. You know, some guys make those catches, some guys don't. Um, and it wasn't an easy catch. So, me wrong, the defenders were right there and everything like that, but the right. ball was in a pretty good spot to catch it. But I forgot. To me, I just, you know, we're watching under the stadiums. We're not allowed out on the field. Right. You, you know, we're all in that cattle call with the under. So, you never really got to see it. You were worried about post-game and all that other BS. Right. And there's a tendency to think it was overthrown more yes. than it was, you know, and it wasn't. I mean, it was it was about as good a ball as you could get in that uh, circumstance. But, uh, you know, you believe in karma. <laughs> there you go. You want to run it up on Joe Gibbs and all these guys? You want to cheat and all these guys? Well, okay, we're not going to let you catch this ball. <laughs> you know? Amazing. Now, what about we haven't even deflate gate. We haven't even gotten to that. Oof. Can you imagine what that's going? I did. I have heard about that one. You, I know what you guys heard, but I did hear that. That uh, I don't know if it's Brady or somebody else expresses his shock at uh, the way that press conference went, uh, where he was getting it uh, from all sides, including me. Frankly, um, I remember he was. It was not his shining moment. No. Well, I remember he was not happy with me after because you guys will recall. He made a soliloquy about how carefully he picked the balls, and you know he, he knew the balls, da, 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 blah 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 blah. And I said, well, when he got done, I said, well, Tom, 
if you know the ball so well, how could you not notice when they were underinflated? <laughs> what are you talking about? You just went on a five-minute thing about how you know carefully you pick the balls. And I can tell you one other thing. Tim Hasselbeck told me this story at the time. Uh, any idea that it was anybody but the quarterback and his minions in the equipment department involved, this should dissuade you from that. He was uh, Tim was his uh, a first year NFL quarterback. I figure what team he was on at the time. He was a backup, you know. So it's the first Saturday of the season, and the, that's when the quarterbacks go down and look at the balls with you, pick out the ones they want to put in the bag. So they got about you know dozens of balls there, and I don't know who the who the starting quarterback was. But he's picking a couple of balls. He throw them in the bag. He says, "I don't want this one." He puts, and Tim picks up one of the balls, and the guy turned on him, you know, like he just saw him using his toothbrush. They put that. Give me that goddamn ball down. You don't touch those balls. It's like, geez, I'm a quarterback. Too. Well, no, no, you're not. You're just a backup. Leave those balls alone. Yeah. Wow. So that's they're pretty, they're pretty uh uh most quarterbacks are pretty testy about picking the balls they want. Uh so it uh, yeah, that's gonna be an interesting one, how they handle that and how uh how much we hear about uh uh the, what was the thing that they published? This the uh, in context the deflate uh, 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 the, context or whatever it was. The air pressure that yeah right right, the whole, right. It's the whole whatever right right you know more likely more likely than not more right. likely than not right. more likely than not and you know don't you guys think that it's similar to the Spygate yes thing? yeah. You know, in terms of the percentage of difference. Now, if you've got a tiny little hand, you know, you got to like a little flip like this, you know, maybe, okay. And if you got some big massive hand like this, maybe you want a different kind of. You know. But see, what else would you want? I'm sure. Wouldn't you want a guy like Ernie Adams or somebody like that to be looking for the edges? Oh, sure. That'll, that'll win your games. It depends. Oh, well, the Raiders on what, are always accused of. Right. Uh, what do you want? And how far are you willing to go to get it? Yeah. Well, the Steelers always used to accuse the Raiders when they were playing that they that they had the the kicking balls right next to the blower, you know. And uh, and so then when Ray Guy would hit the thing, it would be like filled with helium, you know. I just boom, and thing would take off, you know. Uh, and you know, I wouldn't be totally uh, surprised if that didn't happen occasionally, you know. It's, there's a lot of that going on, but you get caught, you know, you get caught. It just uh, I made a mistake. <laughs> right. I can assure you one thing, and I have not seen the episode, but uh, the two equipment guys will not be in this film. I can assure you of that. <laughs> they may make their own film after yeah, this. Yeah, they should. Right. They can make a lot of money. Right. You were great. You were just great. Driving up to New Hampshire and trying to get this guy when he, when he get out of his out of his car, yeah. coming to his house with the groceries, right. like he was a convicted felon or something. Tell that, Mike, tell that story. What's that? That story you were just talking about. No, I didn't drive up there. No, 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 no. But you, this the whole what you were just saying about him going up to New Hampshire about going after this guy. No, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. Oh, you're just. You no, people well, did do it. I, I, I don't recall. No, people did do it. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, they stopped in front of the house. And they tracked down. There was, I know there was some people who tracked down Walsh in Hawaii. He was working at some golf course in Hawaii. <laughs> he was, and, I know. Yeah, and he talked a little bit, but not. it was always this sort of, you know, he was like uh, uh, Ernie uh, Ernie Adams in training. You know, <laughs> he just talked a little bit, but not too to much. To the grave. All right, to the grave. That's it. Uh, <laughs>
Ronnie, you were what great. Do you, what do you think kind of a phone call there was from Belichick to Ernie Adams after Belichick saw that to the grave? <laughs> there was a loud call there. <laughs> Oh my I don't think Belichick was too happy with this documentary. No, no, I imagine not. And I don't imagine he's looking forward to the <laughs> – there he is. Yeah. Right. Like, like wouldn't you think that uh, uh, Bears or one of his minions would have said, hey, Bill, man, you look like <laughs> you're going yeah. to the electric chair, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Was, I'm telling you, it was done over a year ago, and I, I don't know that they had a concept of what it was going to be. Right, right. It's the only excuse. I'm going to say this again. You do. You were great, Ronnie. You were always great. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Trying to have some fun. Trying to have some fun with it. No, it's no, fun. I love it. I love. I learned so much from having you on. I just really love these stories, and you're the best. You just you have so much information. So we know the beauty of this guy. All this kind of stuff is it really doesn't. It's really unimportant. You know. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Life, you know, and the fact that some people can't laugh at some of these things, even this many years. I mean, I got friends that say, you know, every year on the date of that uh, 07 Super Bowl, you know, I can't sleep. I like, well, then you're an idiot. I mean, what are you talking about? Were you going to make money off it? Like, if it costs you a lot of money because they, you know, Randy Moss didn't catch the ball, okay. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just sports. How many books, <laughs> you know? have, you, how many books have you written? Uh, I, three. I got uh, I got one coming out in May, and then I'm working on a uh, proposal right now for one that uh, it's a football one that could be kind of interesting, patriot related one if, if it works out. Uh, it's uh, we'll see. If it does. Well, come on, here's a chance to be a Lou Embriano. I saw your Facebook post. <laughs> yeah, Lou's out there hustling his book like crazy. I never got to the. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just asking. Okay, cool. so tell us. Yeah, well, I got a. Uh, Collection of my boxing stuff is coming out in May. Uh, I had a book uh, uh, that came out two years ago on Christy Martin, the fighter, the woman fighter, who really the coal miner's daughter, who basically created women's boxing. There's been a number of uh, documentaries done, and we did sell that to the movies, so we'll see. Uh, she got a tremendous story. Uh, she was a closeted woman for 20 years, and well, for her whole life, basically, until her husband quote unquote, slash trainer, slash manager, slash abuser, you know, shot and stabbed her and nearly killed her. Uh, and six months later, she fought again. So which was that, that was her. She's the toughest person I've ever met. I met a lot of tough people, but uh, she's like 10 miles of detour. Boy. Sounds, like a great, <laughs> sounds like a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's good. And the book's called uh, Fighting for Survival. Everybody wants a good story. It's uh, good. I'm glad you're talking about it. What about the next one? The Patriots? Uh, well, you know, again, we, you know, we're still in a negotiating stage of a player who, who may want to tell his story and we've been working on it a little bit and it's, you know, it's interesting because, uh, uh, you know, the dynamics of everything going on down, I mean, this thing that I didn't hear, uh, Elliot Wolf, the new general manager, I guess, uh, I don't know it was him or some of the other minions out there basically talking about now people are smiling in the building for the first time in 20 years, you know? Uh, which, which I had always heard, you know, that it was the, the the relentlessly unhappy pursuit of excellence down there, you know, and you know, imagine that every day for twenty years, you got to act like you're unhappy, you know, uh, and, or they make you unhappy. So, uh, you know, if we end up doing it, it's going to be sort of an inside look of at, at both the bright side and the dark side of a dynasty. It's, I'm not going to even guess who it is, but I am going to. I have a. I won't say it anyway. <laughs> you want me to say who I guess who it is? You're not. Sure, good, good. I would guess it was Ted Johnson. 
No. Okay. All right. That's fine. I feel satisfied. Then I'm sure they'll be surprised. <laughs> but, uh, Tell us. Come on. But, uh, no, I can't do it. Sworn to secrecy. But okay. All right. Almost, all right. You know, hopefully, when you know, if we if we make the deal, well, then everybody will know. Okay. Uh, good. But you know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, story you know that you could have all that success wrapped around so much unpleasantness you know yeah. when i was around the raiders obviously those raiders teams were great man they won 75 percent of the games you know the super bowls it wasn't like that i mean they had their ups and downs and crazy stuff happens you know you expect that but not this just you know misery kind of thing same with the 49ers you know i mean it just i don't, I don't get no it. joy no joy in mudville yeah, I don't get it. You know, like, uh, uh, I mean, Mike, you were you were around Bill all the time. I mean, did you get that sense of it that it just didn't? Yeah, yeah that they just everything was was serious. Everything was. Uh, I mean, he he would he would kind of laugh before the before the red light went on. You know, and uh, and he'd say he actually chuckled and was kind of funny. But once the red light went on, it was all seriousness, and you know, we were on pins and needles waiting for him to come in the room and. Make make sure that every camera worked, every every microphone worked, because you didn't want to like have him storm out because uh, somebody's microphone wasn't working. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, there was um, you know it was remember when I, the, John Thompson was the first guy that brought Hoya Paranoia in. Yeah, it was very similar to that. Yeah, good call around Foxborough. Yeah, right. that, that thing always came to my mind when 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 I was thinking about it. Uh, the next two issues of sports porn will be dropping on Friday, so just. <laughs> I think the, I think the second one is the Hernandez one. I think, isn't it? I uh, think that would be five and six, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think it is. So, looking forward to that one. I'm. Uh, Great job, buddy. Thanks, I'm Ron. Have to get it on my phone. I got to be in Toronto this weekend. I'm supervising a title fight up there for one of these sanctioning oh, organizations. So I got to hopefully I can get it on my phone because I'll be breaking <laughs> out in prickly heat if I can't see it. You're an important guy. So I'll be in South Carolina. I have to look on my, my phone too. So there you go. <laughs> You'll be hitting golf balls. I'll be making right. snow. That's true. All right. Good Ron, job, Ronnie. Ron. Thank Ron you so much. Great Ron Borges. Thanks so much. Make sure you follow us at unanchoredboston.com. To learn more, go to unanchoredmedia.com.